seated. Love. There's nothing that can compare to the love of God that has been demonstrated to us through his Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to know and to experience that marvelous love. I'm not sure why that's up there for me. I don't use it, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> thank you for singing nicely and loudly and for helping me out um, with that, um, I don't know if you call it a dilemma or whatever you call it, but we, we strived to er- worship our great God this morning, and I believe he was glorified uh, regardless of how it sounded, because we're making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Cindy, thank you for singing. I could hear you. I appreciate it. Um, she's, she's, she's in the same boat as I am, okay, when we have to sing out loud, but thank you for stepping up, and all the rest of you as well. I uh, really appreciate your uh, offering of sacrifice, of praise to our great God. All right, we're going to continue this morning our study in Second Peter, okay? We're back in chapter 3, and um, you know, sometimes we don't know, in fact, many times we don't know what tomorrow holds, okay? My wife will often ask me, uh, first thing in the morning. So what are your plans for today? And sometimes I tell her because I know what I'm going to do. Sometimes I say, well, I'm not sure because, you know, my days, and I'm not complaining about this, but my days aren't always my own, okay? I could, I could have a great plan for the day, uh, all set up, all ready to go and get everything that I wanted to get done for the day, get done. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings, or a text comes across, or an email comes across, um, and it's like, oh, I guess I won't be doing that today because I've got to do something else. And that's just the way a pastor's life is. And again, not complaining about it in any way. I love the things that I get to do as a pastor. Um, and, I, and of course, I want to always encourage you that um, if something like that comes up in your life, you need to let me know. Because I, I, I've told you many times before, um, Part of being a pastor, one of the qualifications listed there in uh, 1 Timothy and Titus is not being a mind reader, okay? So I don't know the things that are going on in your life, and if you want uh, the church to know about them and be involved in them, you want me to be part of uh, your going through whatever that might be, you need to let me know. And with the very least, we'll be praying for you. As you know, we send out texts and we send out reminders of, of how we need to be praying for one another. So at the very least, we can be doing that, and I can meet with you, whatever. I'm always happy to do that as well. Um, But you know, we don't know the future, right? Anybody here? I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. There wasn't one when I got here. Pastor Brown didn't leave one tucked away somewhere for me, okay? Um, uh, And I didn't leave one when we left the church in South Africa because there isn't such a thing. There's no such thing as a crystal ball. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the future holds. But you know what? We know the one who holds the future, And we know what the plan for the future is from his perspective. Excuse me just for a minute. And this morning, that is what we're going to talk about. I want you to know that the future is clear. 
The future for the child of God, the future for the world, the future for the earth, the future for all of mankind is clear. And as we read through the next couple of verses in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to see some words that people might think of as insignificant words. Okay, We're going to see some words that uh, people might see them as eh, can't really be that important. We hear them all the time. We say them uh, from time to time. Um, and why do they really have that much significance in our text this morning? Well, actually, I want to let you know that these three words mark off or they set in motion for us the significance of our study together. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then as we read the text together, I want you to look for those words. The first one, you know, it's one of my favorite ones. It's a very short word. It's only got three letters in it. Um, You could probably tell me what it is, right? It is but. All right, so that's a very significant word in our text this morning. Another significant word is another great word when you're studying the Bible. Um, It's a word that makes you stop where you are and go back and look at where you've come from. It's the word therefore, okay? And then the last word is a word that we might not use very much, especially in our vernacular today, but it's the word nevertheless, Okay, so but, therefore, and nevertheless kind of mark off our text this morning. And it's from these three words that we're going to formulate our response to what we looked at last week. And the last week we looked at the surety of God's word. Can can you agree with me that if God says something, it will happen? You can take it to the bank that you probably won't get much for it, but you can absolutely be 100% certain that if God said something in his word, it is going to happen. He will bring it to pass. Why? Because he is the sovereign creator of the universe. He is still in control. He's never abdicated the throne. He's never given up the throne. He is still sitting on the throne. He is still in, in charge. And he knows what tomorrow holds. Even though we might have it all figured out in our minds, when we wake up tomorrow morning, we say, "Uh uh-oh, that's not what I was planning, okay? I can tell you that a couple of weeks ago, we weren't planning on going to see a shoulder surgeon on Tuesday, okay? We weren't planning on that. But that's what's happening. Barb's going to see Dr. Smart on Tuesday to find out what's going on with her. We have an idea what's going on, but we'd like more answers. Okay, And we, we may have find some news out on Tuesday that we weren't anticipating, and we might find out some more news that we, oh yeah, we kind of figured that was the next step. All right, But God knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what next week holds, next month, next year. And should he tarry, he knows what a thousand years from now holds. But he also knows that today, before we finish our service this morning, worshiping him, he could come back. It could be his plan for his son to come and take us home to be with him for all of eternity. What a great thing that would be. None of us would complain about that, I don't think. We would all be ready. But we have to simply study God's word to know the future and what he has in store for us. Last week in verse 8 of chapter 3, we saw the reason for what appears to be a delay in the Lord's plans. God said he was coming back, right? And I have people often say to me, well, come on, pastor, the disciples said that, thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. It's been hundreds of years since then. He must not really be coming back. Can I tell you, he's coming back, okay? And, and just by way of explanation, um, 
when Jesus said, I'm coming back soon, um, the, the word that he uses when he explains that, can, it includes a time period. It doesn't, doesn't mean a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It means a period of time. And we're going to look at that and see that as we work our way through our text this morning. But we want to understand that God, just because he seems to be delayed, remember we talked about how those, those false teachers said, well, you know, nothing has changed since the beginning of time. Well, they forgot about the flood. They forgot about the Tower of Babel. They forgot about Jesus coming and making it possible for all mankind to be redeemed and brought back into a right relationship with with God through Jesus Christ. Things are not the same. All we have to do is think about the lifetime our grandparents lived in. Remember, I don't know about you, but I loved hearing my grandparents tell stories about days gone by. What was it like? How did it happen? And, I, and I've told you before that I think if my grandfather could come back to life at the snap of a fingers uh, and, and sit in 2023, he would scratch his head. And he would say, why? How did we get to a place where we're doing that now? Okay? Things have changed. Things are not the same today as they were five years, 10 years, 20 years, or 50 years ago. They are different, but God is still in control, and, and God has delayed, if you will, his return, and the reason is because he is patient, or he is, if we use the old English word, he is long-suffering. He is willing to suffer long with what man is, going, is doing, okay? Listen to the, the explanation of that word according to Strong's Dictionary. Uh, it says to be patient in bearing the offense and injuries of others. Okay, think about that for a moment. To be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. Do you think that mankind has offended God in any way over the last couple thousand years? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? So God is long-suffering with the offenses and even the injuries. What's the greatest injury? When Jesus hung on the cross. Prior to that, he was beaten, he was battered, he was scoffed, he was pla- a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Yes, Jesus was injured. Why? For you and I, for the sake of mankind. So God is putting up with the offenses and the injuries of others, and the definition goes on to say, not only that, but the one who bears up during these offenses is mild and slow in avenging, even though he has every right to avenge. Jesus had every right to lash out and to strike all of those people who were around the cross that were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus had every right to avenge what the Roman soldiers did to him leading up to the crucifixion. Jesus had every right to, um, to avenge those who were um, just mocking him and, and spitting on him. And uh, what does he know? He's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. If you're Jesus, come down from the cross and we'll really worship you. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have. 
Jesus could have rightly avenged himself in that situation or countless other ones leading up to that and countless other ones after that. God has every right to strike out and destroy the world like he did in the time of the flood. But to be long-suffering, Strong says, is to be slow to anger and slow to punish. No wonder God is waiting and and waiting and delaying. The prophet Isaiah knew about this trait of our Lord when he wrote these words. He said, therefore the Lord will wait. Now this is Isaiah long before Jesus took on flesh and lived among us and went to the cross. Isaiah said, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you and therefore he will be exalted and he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Here Isaiah is putting together, he's pairing the graciousness of God with the justice of God. God can do that much better than we can. He is patient because he does not want any of his creation to perish. It's, It's from that background that the word but comes in our text this morning. He is patient. It is absolutely true that the Lord does not want anyone to spend eternity in hell. Therefore, he is long-suffering and provides plenty of opportunity for mankind to repent. But there will come a time when he ceases to be long-suffering and he begins to judge the earth and its inhabitants because they've rejected him. That is where we pick up our study this morning. Would you stand with me as we read together 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Wow. Now, you might look at those verses and you say, Pastor, is that really going to happen? Is the earth really going to burn up? You know what? I think people in Noah's day would have said, is that really going to happen? Is the, is, the, is the world really going to flood completely? How could that ever happen? It, it certainly can't. We don't even know what, a, what rain is. How can that happen? It's not science fiction, my friends. It's the truth from the pages of Scripture. Let's ask God to bless our time together as we open his word. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and again, we thank you for the privilege of being here, where we can learn from your word, where we can study it, we can understand it, we can allow it to change our lives. Father, we are so grateful for the preservation, the preserving hand of you, our great God, on the pages of Scripture, so that we know we hold in our hands the truth, words that we can build our lives upon, words that we can live by. 
And Father, the words that we have read this morning, though they seem harsh, though they seem uh, difficult to understand, we know that they are true and that your Holy Spirit will guide us into an understanding of them as we study them properly. We ask your blessing upon our time in the word this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So again, I want you to understand that this is not something that is meant to be difficult or even seem like it doesn't make any sense to us. These things are true. These things are found in the word of God. And here's that first word right there in verse 10, right? You see it. But, but what? But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Now, before we get too far into our text, I want to just take a few minutes to discuss this phrase, the day of the Lord. Many people get confused with what the day of the Lord is. So we're going to try and clarify some things this morning so we don't have that confusion in our minds, okay? The day of the Lord is a, is a multi-event happening as we look at the scriptures and, the, and we look at the writings of the prophets and we look at the writings of the New Testament writers, we understand that the day of the Lord is not pigeonholed into one tiny little event, okay? And I think that's what we're going to study this, after, this evening, okay? So if you want even more clarification on that, uh, you can come back and we'll be talking about that this evening as we think about the differences in the idea of the day of the Lord, what it actually means. But Quickly, for this morning's purposes, I want you to see that we are going to decipher the day of the Lord. What does it mean? What does the day of the Lord mean? Okay, so we've got here on our first line there, the assurance of the day of the Lord. Can I tell you this? The day of the Lord is going to come. Nobody can do anything to stop it. Nobody can do anything to change it. And in fact, God has determined in eternity past when that day of the Lord is going to take place. So nothing in the course of human history is going to take uh, to change the timing of that event. It's already been decreed and God knows exactly when it's going to happen. You and I don't know. In fact, the angels of heaven don't know. The disciples longed to know because they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, tell us when this will be. When will the sign, when will these things happen that, you know, they were talking in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. When will these things happen? They wanted to know. And you know, I love Jesus' answer. He says, it's not for you to know. In fact, if we can imagine it, and we have to understand that as well, Jesus said, I don't even know. But it's not that he didn't necessarily know, it's that he didn't care. Okay? The key is that he said, my Father in heaven knows the day and the hour. You see, in the Godhead, there are certain responsibilities that each member of the Godhead are responsible for. Jesus isn't responsible for when he comes back the second time. So he says, I don't really care when it is. I just need to be busy doing what I'm supposed to be doing until the time my father says, Jesus, go and get your bride. That's all that Jesus said. I don't need to know. I don't care when it is. I'm just going to be faithful doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And you know what? That's great advice for you and I. We don't need to care when the day of the Lord is going to happen. We just need to know that it is going to happen. And what we should be doing, because we know that's true. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So as we decipher the day of the Lord, as we try to understand what's going on here, the phrase, the day of the Lord, occurs many times in the Bible. 
We find it numerous times in the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Eight of these holy men of God were used to write this phrase. Isaiah speaks of it in two different chapters. Ezekiel also addresses it in two chapters. The short book of Joel talks about the day of the Lord in all three chapters. Amos speaks of it twice in chapter 5 of his prophecy. Obadiah, which is only one chapter in length, mentions this day in verse 15. Okay, so we, we have to see that the Old Testament prophets spoke much about the day of the Lord. The books Zephaniah and Zechariah, the Old Testament prophets, both describe some of the events of the day of the Lord. And even the very last book of the Old Testament speaks of this day. You cannot read the prophecies of the Old Testament without picking up on the significance of this day. And if that weren't enough, the phrase the day or the great day, which refers to the same time period, occurs some 75 additional times in the Old Testament. Do you think it's important from God's perspective for us to know that the day of the Lord will take place? He said it so many times. He talked about it, I think I said last week, over 250 times. He talks about the day of the Lord. There's much said about the day of the Lord in these various passages. There are different events described that will take place in the day of the Lord. But one thing is common in each one of the many references listed. And that thing that is common is this, that the day of the Lord is going to be a time of judgment. Okay? It's not going to be a picnic. It's not going to be a party. It's going to be a time of judgment. The phrase, the day of the Lord, also occurs in the New Testament. We read it in Acts chapter 2, verse 20. We read about it in First and Second Thessalonians. And of course, we're in Second Peter chapter 3. We read about it here. Again, each of these references is in connection with end time judgments. God is going to judge the earth. At some point, his patience is going to reach its end, and that's at the predetermined time. His patience will reach an end, and he will begin to judge the world. And we know that that day has not happened yet because we have not seen the judgment of God upon the earth in its full and in all of its magnitude. And you know why I know that? Because if we were to see it, the earth cannot hold it. The earth cannot endure it. Mankind cannot, uh, excuse me, mankind cannot take it all in. Our bodies were not made for that kind of judgment. It will cause a cessation in the world as we know it. And that's why in our text this morning, we read about the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? So if somebody tells you this, tries to tell you that the day of the Lord has already happened, as much love as you can muster up, you can tell them, sorry, but you're not telling me the truth. You're not, because it has not happened yet. Um, the idea of the day of the Lord, uh, it, it, comes, it, it seems like it's a little bit confusing. And some of the passages seem to talk about different events or different times, and people have a hard time reconciling the difference. The confusion comes when one tries to limit the day of the Lord to one single 24-hour period, okay? It is not a day, rather it is a period of time. It's much like we say, um, we live in a day that is technologically advanced compared to days gone by. 
Now, are we talking about one particular day when we say something like that? No, we're talking about a time period, okay? And I don't know how far you want to go back. I do know that I, I remember the, when we were first getting ready to go to South Africa, there was a man in our church in, in Germantown Hills who was fairly computer literate as far as computers were back in the, in the mid-80s. He, he asked me one time, he says, uh, so are you guys going to get this thing called email? I hadn't even heard of it. I said, what is it? You know, AOL. Remember when you had AOL and that was the, one of the premier, CompuServe I think was another one of the first email carriers. You're going to get one of those? Nah. We're just going to get a fax machine. And we're going to fax back and forth to our loved ones here in the States. And so we got to South Africa. One of the first purchases we made was a fax machine, right? So we could keep up with our loved ones and our supporting churches and all that kind of stuff. Now, we still sent mail. Of course, mail in those days maybe even takes the same amount of time or longer these days. Took 10 days. You could put, a, you could put an envelope with a letter in the mail in South Africa. And in about 10 days, it would get to Barb's mom and dad or to my mom here in the States. Uh, and then if it was really urgent, we'd send a fax because Barb's mom and dad had a fax at camp. My brother had a fax at work. So we had those numbers. And if we needed to, we would fax. And that was instantaneous, okay? Um, however, during our first two years term in South Africa, every, well, more and more people started using email. So we had one of our deacons who owned his own business and he started using email and he said, hey, if you need to communicate with family members, of course it took 10 days, right? We write 20 days actually, write a letter and say, hey, we have access to email, here's the address um, and they would get the mail and they would say, okay, we also have access at work to an email uh, and here's the address. So in about a month's time, we could at least start the opportunity of communicating via email. As fast as it was, we still took time to set it up. So um, our friends let us borrow their email and use their email. And just before we left, we bought this thing called a modem. And we had it installed in a computer. It wasn't even our computer, but we did it anyway. We installed it into our coworkers' computers because they were on furlough. Uh, and we put it in there so they would have access to, to email when they got back. And we could use it until we went. All right? So that's what we did. And then when we were back in the States, everybody was using email. So we bought a laptop to take back with us. It had all the stuff that we needed to use and, and send email. We got back and we started communicating with email and Barb's dad sent us a letter. He says, I'm not sure I like this email stuff. I'm like, why not? He said, well, before, if you had a problem, you'd send us a letter. It would take 10 days for the letter to get to us. And, and we, would he, we would get it, we would read it, and we could figure that you know, by the time we got the, the letter, they probably had things sorted out. Now we know almost immediately that there's a problem and we have to either think about how we can help to solve the problem. How can we, um, you know, pr- at least start to pray about the problem. But uh, we might even know that there's a problem and not know the answer to the problem or how things have been worked out because of this new thing called email. It was an instant thing. We, we had these responses right away. This technological age has developed over the last 20 years. Okay, it's not just one day. Remember the age of enlightenment? Was that a one-day thing or a, a week thing? Or, no, it was a period of time. So when Peter says the day of the Lord, when other biblical writers talk about the day of the Lord, they're not talking about a 24-hour period. They're talking about a time frame. 
A period of time in which these things are starting to unfold. Dr. Harry Ironside says this about the day of the Lord. He says, when at last the day of grace is ended, the day of the Lord will succeed it. The day of the Lord follows the rapture. Hallelujah, we won't be here for the day of the Lord. Uh, That's my addition, not his. Um, He goes on to say, it will be a time when the judgments of God are poured out upon the earth. It includes the descent of the Lord with all his saints to execute judgment on his foes and to take possession of the kingdom and to reign in righteousness for 1,000 years. That, my friends, is the unfolding of the day of the Lord. Another great writer when it comes to end times things, a guy by the name of Dr. Dwight Pentecost, um, he wrote this about the day of the Lord in his book entitled Things to Come. He says, It is thus concluded that the day of the Lord is that extended period of time beginning with God's dealing with Israel after the rapture of the church at the beginning of the tribulation period and extending through the second advent and the millennial age unto the creation of the new heavens and the new earth after the millennium. It's a time period, my friends. It's a long period of time <coughs> excuse me, in which the Lord will bring about his purpose during that time frame. So there's a little, just a little bit of deciphering the day of the Lord. It's not one day. It's a period of time that God has determined to work in such a way that will include the reigning of his son on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. And that will be the Jerusalem and Israel will become now the center focus of things that will happen in the world. Has that ever happened? No. If it hasn't happened, then it it must still happen. Otherwise, God didn't keep that promise. You see, the significance of trying to say that the day of the Lord has already happened undermines the the credibility of our great God. Because there's so many promises that are yet unfulfilled that lead up to the day of the Lord and take place during the day of the Lord. God will bring those promises to pass. Okay, so let's describe, if you will, the day of the Lord. First of all, in our text here, Peter lets us know that it will come as a thief in the night. Okay, you know what that is? That tells us that it's an unanticipated timing. It's an unanticipated, you can't anticipate for, you can't plan for, you can't say, excuse me, okay, on this day, it's going to start, and it's going to start to unfold, and and we can be ready for it by knowing. No, no, it can't. You cannot know when it's going to happen. And I love the illustration that he uses, a thief in the night. If someone breaks into your house at night, do they make an appointment with you? Do they, do they call you up and say, hey, I'm going to break into your house at 11.55 tonight. I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. No, we've been on the receiving end of people breaking into our house, and they've never made an appointment. Not in Preble, by the way, uh, but in South Africa, uh, we had people break into our house. They never said ahead of time that they were coming. Um, they, they watched for us to leave, and when we left, they broke in. It wasn't fun. Because I actually came home and found them in the house. Wasn't nice. And I was not thinking at the time. Um, but God was protecting the whole time. Okay? So uh, they, they never once asked permission. And then you can imagine, okay, you come home, find somebody in your house. Three guys standing in the bedroom going through our stuff. Um, 
and I chased them, chased, went running in, and the dog went in with me, barking, yapping, and yelping, and all that kind of stuff. And they ran out, the, ran out the door. They came in up over the wall, and they were gone. But you know what? For the next several days until we installed burglar bars on the doors in the bedroom, every sound that wasn't a normal sound, what was that? We were on edge. We went that night... We finally, after we went through, made everything, made sure there was nobody in the house, everything was secure, at least we thought. We went down, we got in bed, um, and all of a sudden, the dog jumps up onto bed. <laughs> Off the bed, and runs out the door. Never did that before. So we're thinking, uh-oh, what's going on? Earlier in the day, I had grabbed the hatchet and put it underneath the bed. So I grab the hatchet, and out I go, following the dog, trying to figure out, did somebody, did somebody get in? And as I go out, I'm turning on all the lights. And I open up the back door, and I said, Percy, go. He looks at me. I said, Percy, go. And he would not move. He would not go outside. So I kicked him gently out the back door, and he goes out, and he looks around the corner. So I follow him out with a flashlight, and I look, and I don't see anybody, and there was a wall that divided the backyard from where the pool was. So I opened up the gate for the pool, and I said, Percy, go. And he does this. He said, keep going. He wouldn't go. So I kicked him through the gate, and I looked around the gate. I went through after him, and I looked, and I went over to the pool, looked around inside the pool, make sure there wasn't anybody in there. And so... Finally went back in. Percy had to check every room in the house. Uh, finally, okay, we're going to go to bed. So we settle down and we go to bed again. Wake up the next morning and I call one of our, one of our deacons. I said, Barry. I said, this is what happened last night. What do you think? He said, oh, they probably came back. I said, well, that wasn't really what I wanted to hear. And he said, no, they probably saw some stuff that they wanted and they were going to come back and get it. When you turned on all the lights and the dog started barking, they ran away. But again, they never called. They didn't say, hey, can we break into your house? When a thief breaks in, Peter wants us to understand this is an unanticipated event. You can't plan for it. You can't expect it to happen. I mean, actually, we started to live live life in a way that it was always could happen anytime. Oh, you know what? That's the way the day the Lord is. Could happen at any time. So we want to be ready. How were we ready? We put burglar bars on the doors. We, we secured some other things. We locked things up. We made sure every night before we went to bed that everything was secure. We got ready in case they came back. Peter says, the, the coming of the Lord is like a thief in the night. One time, <clears throat> my older brother, who had moved away, decided to come back home without telling us. Okay? And he had a key to the house. We didn't know that he had a key. I mean, we didn't, didn't figure he had a key to the house because he moved away. All right? So he had worked all day and then took him a couple hours to drive home. And we were all ready for bed, getting you know, ready to sleep. And, and I had gotten a shotgun for Christmas. And um, my other brother had a gun or two. Uh, and we hear this guy, this noise, somebody fiddling around with the door trying to get in the house. So I grabbed my shotgun, he grabbed his gun, and just by the time he gets the door open, he's facing the shotgun and another gun, and he's like, it's just me! Okay? He, <laughs> he uh, never did that again, by the way. Uh, but you see, we didn't know he was coming. We couldn't predict that he was coming. We had no idea. Our kids like to surprise us. Um, Mike is actually pretty good at it. Rachel, 
Not so much. And Josh, he doesn't even care about surprising people. Um, but anyway, uh, Micah is very good at surprising us. He's done it a couple of times. Uh, but you know, you can't plan for a surprise. That's the whole essence of a surprise. The coming of the day of the Lord is like a surprise. It's like an intruder trying to break into your house. He comes unexpectedly, and then he leaves a wake of trail, a wake of destruction and all kinds of heartache in the path. My friends, the day of the Lord is coming. And if we're not ready for it, it's going to leave a wake of destruction in the lives of those who don't know Jesus or who aren't prepared to receive him. We also see and understand that it's characterized by uproarious sound. The heavens and the earth will pass away with what Peter says is a great noise. Have you ever been, well, in fact, even some of our bonfires that we have down here, probably more so when Micah set them up than when I set them up, but when Micah set up the bonfires, man, you could hear it. It was just crackling and roaring and all kinds of noise um, and just burn. It's, it was intense, okay? Um, so that's the idea. Can you imagine if the whole earth is on fire by judgment of God? <clears throat> you better believe it's going to make an uproarious noise. It's going to make this loud, intense noise. And it will pass away, most likely, as the result of an explosion. You know, man thinks they have these nuclear weapons and it's all, it's a deterrent, it's all this, and it's all that. <clears throat> I'm not telling you for sure. But don't be surprised if God doesn't use the weapons of man to start or to initiate the destruction of the world. And then what they think is going to be intense heat from their nuclear weapons, it ain't going to be nothing compared to what God does when he completely annihilates the earth. We see here in the text it's going to be unfeigned heat. The elements of the earth will melt with fervent heat. Elements here means the building blocks of the earth, that which the, the building blocks, that which something comes from, the material causes of the universe, the atoms, the neutrons, all of the things that make up the world and the earth and mankind, they're going to melt with intense heat. We're talking about the destruction of atoms. We know what an atom bomb does, right? When they destroy one atom, what it does. Can you imagine when all of the atoms in the earth are going to be destroyed? What kind of heat are we talking about? Intense, unfeigned heat, unimaginable. We can't even fathom it. And it's going to result in, Peter says, complete and utter devastation. Complete and utter devastation. Again, please don't think of this as something you see as computer-generated special effects in a movie on TV, because they don't even come close. They can't even imagine it. That's how amazing this heat is going to be. And we want to, it's going to cause utter and complete destruction. Not only is God going to destroy the universe as we know it, but all of the history of the earth will be destroyed as well. There will not even be a memory or a traceable element that remains. Nothing will be left. The Believer's Bible Commentary says this, not only will the works of the natural creation, but all civilization will be consumed. The great capitals of the world, the imposing buildings, and the phenomenal scientific productions are all marked for utter destruction. We can understand this a little bit more because of 
Because none of us, whoever before that happened, thought that you would ever see something like that unfold. But that's not even a scratch of the surface compared to what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. Well, we need to keep moving. And why does, what is that, what should that trigger in our hearts and in our minds? Well, there must be an alertness required because of the day of the Lord in verse 11. We must be alert. There's the next word. Therefore, uh, Peter says in verse 11, he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So Peter anticipates our question, since this is going to happen, we know it because God said so, how should I live? What should my life look like today as a result of the fact that the day of the Lord is coming? Peter says, be alert. Be alert. Now that you know all these things will definitely happen, pay attention. And here's the first thing. He says, we need to be holy in conduct and godliness. Holy. That word holy, it means to be set apart. But as we've defined it here at Calvary Baptist Church, it means more than just that. It means to be set apart from that which is evil and set apart to all that is good. We want to make sure that we're set apart from and set apart to. There's a difference between what we're set apart from, the wickedness, the world, Satan, all of those things, and being set apart to Christ and holiness and righteous living and biblical truth. We want to be set apart to that. Our conduct would have to do with our daily living, how we do life on a daily basis. We should be doing all that we can to avoid sin. We should not want sin to be part of our everyday life. Godliness would have to do with our attitude. What is our attitude towards the things of God? We should have a desire to be well-pleasing in the sight of our great God. We need to be set apart and we need to have a desire to live holy before our God. Again, let me refer to the, the Believer's Bible Commentary. Summarizes this idea of being holy and godliness by saying this. It is a simple matter of living for eternity rather than time. A matter of living for eternity rather than time, of emphasizing the spiritual rather than the, than the material, and of choosing the permanent over the passing. Wow, the permanent over the passing. That, that, sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking about what's temporary, don't we? Well, Peter goes on to say, not only should we be holy in our conduct, but he says we need to be looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Part of being alert is looking for or watching out for something, right? We were on the alert. We were watching out in case somebody wanted to break into our house again, right? They, they didn't, praise the Lord, but we were always on the lookout. Peter wants us to be looking for the coming day of God. Notice the change of phrase there. Peter doesn't say looking for the coming day of the Lord here. He says looking for the coming day of God. There's a difference. The day of God is not the same as the day of the Lord. The day of God is eternity. You and I need to be living with eternity's values in view. The events that Peter's been talking about, the burning up of the heavens and the earth, they will take place before eternity begins. So that's a, that's a okay, God is doing this, so eternity must be right around the corner. 
Hastening here, when Peter uses that word hastening, as you're filling the blank word there, it's probably not the best word to use because man can do nothing to change God's timetable. And he says here, looking for and hastening, almost as if we could make it come sooner, but we can't. So let me explain to you what that word hastening means. The day of the Lord is going to come in accordance with God's schedule, okay? God's timetable. A better understanding of the Greek word pseudo here in this context would be to get busy doing things in preparation for the coming day of the Lord. Get busy, get ready, be preparing. You know, and if you don't, I'm going to give you a reminder, in October... Calvary Baptist Church, again, is going to host the Northeast Fellowship Conference, uh, Fall Conference, Bible Conference. Got a good, great speaker lined up. Um, it's going to genuinely be a Bible conference, so we're looking forward to it. We're going to host it. And you know what happens when we host our, the Bible conference, right? Every year, we start months ahead Painting that needs to be painted, fixing what needs to be fixed, changing light bulbs, doing all kinds of things, getting ready for the conference because we want our church building to look really nice and be completely ready for the 200 and some people that are going to come and be here for the conference. We're getting ready for it. We're not going to wait till September to start getting ready for it. We're going to start doing it a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit along the way. Every month we're going to be doing things, getting ready, anticipating the coming of the conference, looking forward to the blessing that it's going to be. That's what that word hastening means, to get busy doing things in preparation for the coming event. In this case, it's for the coming day of the Lord. Now, what do we do? How do we get involved for the coming day of the Lord? How do we prepare for it? Well, it involves preaching the gospel. It It involves sharing the good news with somebody else. It involves telling people what Jesus has done for them on the cross of Calvary. It involves living a holy and a righteous lifestyle. It involves praying for others to be saved. Can I ask you a question? Who are you praying for that God would bring to salvation today? Who today are you praying for that over the next days, weeks, months, years, God would bring to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ? Are you praying for somebody specifically? I want to encourage you to do that if you're not. Pray for somebody who would come to know Jesus as their savior. We need to be looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. And then we wrap it up with the idea of the anticipation of the completion of the day of the Lord. We're anticipating it. We're looking forward to it. That's our next word, our last word, the word nevertheless. That word nevertheless, it could also be read this way. But in keeping with this idea, this truth, this fact, verse 13, in keeping with this, with what's going to happen according to his promises, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In keeping with the fact that God is going to <coughs> excuse me, destroy this sin-cursed universe and create a new heaven and earth, in keeping with that, there are things, there is something that the Christian, the child of God, should be looking for. <coughs> what is that? Well, we can be anticipating the time when God keeps these incredible promises. I don't know about you, but as I think about eternity, it looks pretty good to me. 
the rapture, the next thing on the prophetic timetable, if you will, the rapture is going to be amazing. It means that our life here on earth is over and our life as the bride of Christ is just beginning. Our life finally comes to fulfillment and and we begin living the purpose for which God created us to worship and to adore him. Then there will be the millennial reign of Christ. We'll be part of that. And, and, and you and I will reign, and I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't think we'll have a part in the decision-making process because that's already sorted out. God already knows what that's all about. <clears throat> but we will reign with the, the king. We will be the bride of Christ. We will reign with the king. And then after that thousand-year reign, you know what happens? Eternity begins. Eternity is a whole new beginning. We're, we're starting uh, this weekend. What are they calling it in the NFL? Wild card weekend, right? Only the, the good teams survived. Only the good teams are playing this weekend and tomorrow night. And then after this weekend and tomorrow night, only the best teams will remain. You know what they say about the playoffs? It's a whole new season. Starting all over again. What, what you did in the last 18 weeks doesn't really matter. Except that it allowed you to be able to start playing now. Or keep playing. So we're, we're starting this whole new season. And you all know who I want to see win the, the, the Super Bowl. They'll, pro- they, they, they'll, they'll probably lose tomorrow night because you know, that's their history. One and done. We'll see. Anyway, but, but you know what? A lot of people are going to be cheering for the Cowboys because they're playing against Tom Brady, right? And who cheers for Tom Brady? <clears throat> So anyway, it's a new season. It's a new beginning. It really matters right now. Giants are going to play this afternoon. We know where Mike's going to be. Hope it's not in vain. But anyway. Well, see, there, there's, your, there's your problem. That's a, that's a big mistake. Anyway, um, don't you love we can have fun around those things, and they don't really matter. They don't have any impact on eternity. But we, we sure can have fun about it. We can laugh about it. We can joke about it. We can pick on each other about it. We can mock each other about it, okay? Um, I know the, the, the Philadelphia Eagle fans are hoping that they'll hurt again pretty soon. Um, and if you, have, if you wonder about that, you have to talk to Jim, and he'll explain it to you, all right? But here we are, starting something new. But can I tell you this? When the new heavens and the new earth have been created and eternity begins, oh, that's really what new is all about. That's really the beginning of something different. Eternity is a whole new beginning. It will be like nothing we've ever known. When Peter says he is not just referring to new in time, but he's referring to new in quality as well. In eternity, in this new heaven and in this new earth, righteousness will dwell there. Not unrighteousness. Our world, our life, everything about us will not be characterized by the old nature, by sin. It will be characterized by what is righteousness. William MacDonald puts things into perspective when he writes this. He says, Peter speaks of righteousness dwelling in the new heavens and new earth. At the present time, grace reigns through righteousness, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 21. In the millennial kingdom, righteousness will reign. Isaiah 32, 1. Jesus will sit on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem, and righteousness will be characterized by the reign of Jesus Christ because that's who he is. Righteousness will reign in the millennial kingdom. 
Christ will rule with a rod of iron and righteousness will be enforced by him. In that sense, righteousness will reign. But in eternity, McDonald says, there will be no need for an iron rod. Oh, wow. I had a friend who used to say, when Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem, you better not steal somebody's bicycle. We chuckle, but he'll know, and it'll be dealt with, and it'll be dealt with perfectly, wholly, and, and completely. Don't steal somebody's bicycle. But when eternity begins, and we're in glory, and we're, we're part of that eternal timepiece, there will be no need for a rod of iron because we won't have that sin nature. Woo! Hallelujah! No more sin nature. Righteousness, McDonald says, will be at home. No sin will enter to mar the peace or beauty of that scene. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something worth anticipating, doesn't it? Wow. The day of the Lord, it's coming. You you can count on it. It's coming. Don't let anyone tell you it's not coming. The day of the Lord does not need to be confusing. We need to understand that it is a period of time following the rapture, and it has to do with God's judgment on those who have rejected him. The day of the Lord is not something that we should fear, but we should look forward to with great anticipation. We look forward to it because it will again show that our God is a God that keeps his promises. And more than that, we see that our God is a God that we can count on, we can trust, we can rely on him. When the day of the Lord comes, it means that we are so much closer to eternity Eternity will be just around the corner, if you will. Eternity is what you and I should be living for now, and, and, and we should be pouring our lives into becoming more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we could understand today how amazing eternity is? But I don't think we can. I think we know it's going to be so much greater than it is now. But you realize that in order for us to begin eternity, we have to have a, a new body, a new mind. Our mind will no longer think the way it thinks now. It will be totally cleansed from the, the sinfulness and the unrighteousness. God's going to give us a new mind and a new body. Why? So we can live eternity the way it's meant to be lived. Maybe going all the way back to Adam and Eve, pre-temptation, pre-sin. And the joy and the great, uh, just every day looking forward to walking with God in the garden. Being with him, knowing he was coming down to see you every day. Only thing is, we'll be with him all the time. I can't even say 24-7 because there won't be time in eternity. That's how amazing it is. We, we must not get wrapped up so much in the here and now that we forget that God has left us here to serve him wholeheartedly and completely. There's an old songwriter. In fact, if you're familiar with the Montrose, Pennsylvania area, there's the Montrose Bible Conference. The guy who used to write songs and lead singing there, Al Smith, helps us remember how we should live with this little song. It goes, with eternity's values in view. Listen to it. With eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view, may I do each day's work for Jesus with eternity's values in view. That's how we ought to live the life that God has blessed us with here with eternity's values in view.
Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we again come before you this morning and we thank you for this great reminder from the Apostle Peter. Oh, the coming day of the Lord, it's coming. And while it will be a, a horrific time for those here on earth, we won't be here on earth. We will